Welcome to Blockstream Talk number three. Our conversation today is with one of the world's leading experts on the Lightning Network, Dr. Christian Decker. Christian is also known as Dr. Bitcoin because his dissertation was the first distributed computing PhD that focused explicitly on Bitcoin. His work on duplex micropayment channels actually predates the Lightning Network paper, but in a bizarre twist of fate, it ended up being caught in academic review and publication ended up falling after the publication of the Lightning Network paper. In developer circles, Christian is seen as the inventor, or at least one of the inventors, of lightning-like scaling solutions. So really, there's no better person to talk to about the current state and the future of the Lightning Network. Most investors have been looking at Bitcoin as a high-growth inflation hedge, but what's going on in El Salvador and how Bitcoin is actually being used in emerging economies is really bringing the digital cash narrative back to the forefront. So in this conversation, I was keen to get Christian's views not only on the state of the Lightning Network now, but what could go wrong? Is the Lightning Network ready for prime time? An integration not into just a platform or a wallet, but into an entire economy, as well as the role of the Lightning Network in driving Bitcoin adoption going forward. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. And if you've got any ideas for future episodes, let us know in the comments section below. Thanks again, and I hope you find this conversation useful. All right, Christian, how you doing? I'm good, thanks. Good, uh, long time no see. Yeah, it's been a while, but uh, I've been looking forward to this. Um, so, Christian, maybe we can start off with a quick introduction, who you are, what you're working on, and what's your role at Blockstream? Yeah, so I'm Chris. Uh, I am what some people might call a Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin OG. I discovered this paper in 2009, uh, back when I was doing my studies at ETH which um, uh, then later became my, uh, my PhD topic. I've been doing my doctorate on scalability and security of, uh, of Bitcoin. And when it came time to basically go into industry, uh, Blockstream offered me to basically continue working on these topics. And I've been working on that ever since. Good, good stuff. So high level, what is the Lightning Network? What is the problem it's trying to solve? And, and how is that important to Bitcoin? So fundamentally, the uh, problem that we have is uh, that uh, a blockchain does not scale indefinitely. Um, basically, we are limited by the parameters, not just of the, uh, of the Bitcoin blockchain, but also of the network that we run on um, to, uh, to a limited capacity that we, uh, that we can use. And going beyond that, which might, require, uh, which might be required for a global system such as uh, uh, Bitcoin for everyday purchases uh, might not uh, might not be possible uh, directly on the Bitcoin blockchain. So what we do is basically we try to make more efficient use of the limited capacity that we have um, by basically aggregating more and more transactions into very uh, very few on-chain transactions. And the way we do this is basically by generate uh, by creating uh, off-chain contracts that can handle uh, hundreds or thousands of, uh, of transfers and whose on-chain footprint then end up being just uh, single, uh, single transactions on the Bitcoin blockchain. Um, so what we do is basically we open a persistent relationship between two endpoints uh, called a channel. Uh, by do, uh, we do that by basically sending a certain amount of Bitcoin 
to a multi-sig address that uh, uh, where both endpoints sort of have to agree on what happens with these funds. Otherwise, uh, these these funds cannot be moved. And uh, uh, then we basically decide on how to uh, divvy up these uh, these funds. Um, basically, what we can do is uh, if you and I want to open a channel, I can put in 10 Bitcoin and you can put in zero. So initially, all of the 10 Bitcoins are belong to me. But then I can decide to basically pay you a Bitcoin by agreeing on a new settlement uh, of this uh, of this off-chain contract uh, where you get one Bitcoin and I get nine. So we change the how the uh, how the Bitcoins are tallied up. Um, and once we are happy with the uh, with uh, with how we did that or uh, I want to use my funds elsewhere, we basically take one of these agreements, the latest one, and basically uh, settle it on the blockchain basically freeing these coins again from uh, from this off-chain contract and uh, and basically uh, at the same time settling every single agreement that we had in the meantime uh, with just a single transaction on chain. So for us, it's a way to aggregate many, many thousands of transactions in the, in a very small space. And besides that, we have different trade-offs that we, that we can also address uh, later maybe. So are, are there any limitations on the Lightning Network at the moment? I remember before there used to be um, like a funding limit, the amount of Bitcoin that you could send between parties. And can you go both ways in transactions now? Uh, yes. Uh, so the, the, the fundamental innovation that we, uh, that we had as compared to prior constructions like the simple micropayment channels was basically that we can move funds in both directions with simple uh, micro uh, micropayment channels we were limited to basically forwarding one uh, only in one direction uh, because the way we were sort of disambiguating uh, which state was to be settled was basically uh, by the recipient choosing always the one that where he had the maximum uh, with Lightning and later developments like L2, we uh, we came up with mechanisms where we can actually enforce uh, a later state without having to rely on these uh, on these kind of weak incentives to to do so. Um, as for limitations, yes, we initially had a limitation uh, uh, about the number of uh, of bitcoins you could put into a single channel, but that was much more uh, to prevent. People from uh, from basically pulling uh, their life savings into a channel, and much less of a technical uh, limitation. Um, it is uh, it is uh, it is something that we added as a gentleman's agreement between uh, parties, sort of to protect people that were might be over enthusiastic uh, from from getting uh, getting really badly hurt. But you could always override that, and uh, we have since removed those limitations. Um, from the defaults. Okay. Well, so there's no limitations on it at all now. No. Okay. Wow. Well, that's exciting. You can put your life savings into it, but I suggest not to. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So I guess fundamentally, this is um, a scaling solution, and and the focus I think on in scaling in Bitcoin is certainly on Lightning at the moment. Are there any other solutions to this problem, or is this kind of are there any other competing solutions, or is this the one at the moment? I think there there are a couple of uh, complementary solutions being tackled at the moment. Uh, depends on how widely you define the Lightning Network mm -hmm. uh, suite of, of of protocols. Well, even broader to uh, just scaling Bitcoin. Yeah. Uh, so so uh, there's definitely the class of sort of off-chain protocols, uh, layer two, layer three, or whatever you want to call them. 
um, where we have uh, where we are actually doing things off the blockchain, hence the name. Um, uh, and Lightning and other proposals uh, certainly go into that uh, that direction, um, where we basically anchor some uh, predefined agreement on the blockchain itself, and then we go into a separate room and and do our trading back and forth. And only when we when we want to uh, basically settle, we go back to the blockchain and uh, and and enforce what the agreement that uh, that we settled. Um, that is there. There is there is the Lightning Network as we have it today. Um, there is a proposal such as L two for a different kind of uh, of constructions for similar channels, and then there is uh, there is discrete lock contracts uh, that that try to do some more fancy stuff. There is multi party channels, but all of these are based basically around the idea of uh, uh, of setting aside some funds on chain. Making uh, immobilizing them uh, uh, such that the parties of the off-chain contract have to agree, and then uh, uh, mobilizing them again once this agreement sort of has to be resolved. And that goes hand in hand with the uh, with other attempts to uh, to increase the efficiency of uh, of the uh, of the on-chain mechanisms. Uh, things like Taproot, things like uh, uh, like uh, crossing signature aggregation. Where we make more efficient use of the capacities in the Bitcoin blockchain that we have um, to squeeze in ever more, uh, ever more transactions into the existing space, thus without breaking uh, backwards compatibility with existing uh, client implementations. Yeah, or even as I think you mentioned last time, I mean, eventually, you know, the the 2017 scaling wars were about bigger blocks, or I guess Lightning Network fundamentally. So at some point. Bigger blocks do play a role in it as well, I guess. Is that correct? Uh, I, I think it's probably not correct to say that the 2017 uh, scaling wars were about the, the the block size. It was more about uh, when should we actually consider a block size increase. It it it, uh, it should be. Uh, I, I don't think that uh, that fundamentally everybody is against eventually increasing the block size. Uh, we might have to uh, to do that eventually. The problem is more uh, uh, more when we want to do that and when we consider it safe to do so. Uh, and 2017, there were uh, a lot of proposals that uh, that were basically showing up that there is capacity that we could use before making a breaking change, uh, before potentially forcing a large chunk of the network off of the blockchain, uh, before forcing uh, participants that might currently be able to participate off of the network uh, by by imposing a higher computational burden, a higher storage burden. And um, it, it basically is about timing. It is not, it is not about the uh, a fundamental opposition to uh, considering a block, a block size increase. The problem is it being a breaking change, it should definitely be the last option we consider, not the first one, just because it looks simple. It definitely isn't simple. <laughs> and what about Liquid? How does Lightning interact with Liquid? So depending on who you talk to, Liquid is is also a layer two solution. Um, it uh, And there the, the sort of counting gets a bit weird um, because you can actually have Lightning generally considered to be a layer two solution on top of Liquid. 
Uh, and then you have a layer two solution on top of a layer two solution. Hence, I, I sort of usually go for off-chain contracts because that those don't uh, infer a an ordering. Um, but uh, Liquid can be used as a as a basis for off-chain contracts as well, and therefore most of the technology, if not all of the technology we build on on Bitcoin, can be uh, can be ported over to to Liquid. And in fact, Liquid builds on the Elements uh, uh, project, which is the experimental platform that Blockstream has basically been built on. And being this experimental platform, it is uh, it is a way for us to uh, verify that uh, that ideas work out, uh, that uh, that we can, where we can test new features, and where we can do very interesting things uh, before uh, before trying to backport them into a more uh, stable sort of Bitcoin environment where uh, where we can then show the utility uh, which we experimented on uh, on elements. And so uh, SegWit, for example, is something that, that was first tested on, uh, on Elements and where we could then take the results back to, to Bitcoin Core and, uh, and basically have a very educated guess about how it should, be, uh, should look uh, like in the end. Um, so we do have, we do have uh, our implementation, Sea Lightning works both on Bitcoin as well as, uh, as, uh, as Liquid uh, with LBTC. Um, and uh, and yeah, it just works. So outside of Seed Lightning, there's other competing implementations of Lightning, right? Is that the right way to characterize it? Is it competing? Is it eventually like a winner takes all of this market, or does the whole pie grow together and they each have their own kind of niches? I'm not seeing it as pure competition. It, it is more of a uh, of a collaboration on interoperability, uh, adding uh, more perspectives to 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 the specification effort. Basically, uh, we come from very different, uh, uh, different places where, uh, and, and different, different use cases that we'd like to address and sort of having this, uh, uh this, this clash of visions ultimately, uh, ultimately ends up with a, with a more complete and better system than, than if one, one of, one of us would, would go it all alone. So on the specification and on the, uh, on the compatibility side, we are very much uh, collaborating, uh, we are competing a bit on the feature side, uh, where uh, everybody sort of is uh, is uh, coming up with a, uh, with their more uh, with their innovative use cases, with their uh, uh, with their more um, more extended uh, features and and, uh, and user interfaces and and so on and so forth. But uh, on a specification and compatibility side, it's it's a very uh, friendly process, and uh, I think it's not going to be a winner takes all situation. We uh, try to address very different markets. We do have the very different uh, different trade offs. Uh, with Sea Lightning, for example, we we aim for being very lightweight on resources. Uh, allowing you to run uh, to run on uh, on servers in a high density environment, or uh, on uh, on embedded devices with limited resources, uh, whereas other implementations might target more of the more of the mobile market uh, uh, or the desktop market. Um, so I think everybody has their niche, and and we collaborate wherever possible, and we compete a bit on the on the user experience. 
So where do you think we are in the development of Lightning? Like, are we in terms of, you know, adoption, ease of use, maturity? How how early are we in, into this and, and how much... How much farther do you think we need to go before it gets really mainstream adoption? I think uh, at the moment it it is very much still a a, a techies uh, tool. Um, you need to have quite a bit of uh, of experience. You have to have quite a bit of knowledge about the underlying workings, and the abstraction layers are definitely not quite there just yet. Um, but uh, the basics are working uh, solidly. Um, the adoption is, 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 uh, is already there. Um, but I think before we can really talk about uh, a mass adoption, uh, we need to sort of uh, provide better uh, abstractions, better user interfaces, and, uh, and either make things more, more understandable or hide them behind, uh, below the covers um, uh, such that I don't want to have to explain to everybody how a channel works, and uh, or how to rebalance your uh, your liquidity, and that's that's even on top of all the knowledge you already have to have about bitcoins and your workings. Now you also have to learn about about channels and liquidity and rebalancing and uh, and how to find a path and onion writing. And, uh, it's it's a it's a huge thing to learn. And so we'd uh, we'd like to abstract away all of these details or automate them as much as possible, such that new users aren't confronted with this overwhelming uh, piece of uh, of information that usually scares them away. But but there are implementations. I mean, or the the people who are adopting it quickest right now. I mean, I think of El Salvador, right? And the the seventy percent of their population that's unbanked these aren't you know tech savvy people presumably, um, so you know how are they interacting with Lightning? Um, so there is there's basically this uh, this dichotomy of users we have at the moment, uh, where uh, the one side is very tech savvy they they know about all of the intricacies and they know they they have spent and invested the time to actually read up on this stuff and and. And it's a major investment. Uh, don't don't underestimate this. And uh, sort of the other side of, of users is uh, where uh, where these users are basically using a provider um, that tells them, "Hey, don't worry, we're we're taking care of everything." Uh, sadly, that also means that they're taking care of their security. Um, and in a classical uh, "not your keys, not your coins." Um, dictum of, of Bitcoin, it basically is, uh, it, it means that you are fully trusting this custodian to actually have your best interests uh, uh, in mind. So um, probably not the thing that we want to encourage, um, but for uh, for easy uh, ease of adoption and, and sort of reach that we can have uh, to to other users, it, it, it is probably the uh, the way that many people will go. Yeah, I think that's uh, probably likely. It seems that you kind of need a big exchange blow up every cycle just to remind everyone, you know, the not your keys, not your coins kind of principle. And yeah. we haven't had one in a while, so we might be we might be overdue, knock on wood. Um, one of the main criticisms you get of Bitcoin is that it's, you know, it's old tech, it's clunky, it's difficult for, you know, people like my parents or someone to use. Um and, you know, it's slow, right? So you do a transaction, it comes up as pending really quickly. But if you go back to the, you know, December of 2017, you could have transactions sitting in the mempool for hours or, 
you know, God forbid days, right? <laughs> Waiting for them to clear. Um, so how, how important a piece of the puzzle is lightning to making Bitcoin that much easier for everyone to use and to kind of achieving its end goal of, you know, the white papers behind me, peer to peer, like digital cash and, uh, and, and hyper Bitcoinization and, and taking over the world. I think it's a very important uh, piece of the, the puzzle. I mean, I, I too want to have Bitcoin be a currency that we can use in a day-to-day -day, uh, scenario. Um, and, and that has always been sort of my view of the system that and, and why it's interesting to me ever since 2009. Um, and, uh, and so uh, Lightning actually gives us the opportunity of, of having better trade-offs or different trade-offs, let's say. Um, to Bitcoin on-chain transactions, um, besides the scalability uh, uh, multiplier that uh, that we already mentioned before, uh, it also has uh, has different different behavior. Like uh, uh, unlike the uh, unlike on-chain transactions in Bitcoin, the a, a payment on Lightning is final as soon as it is acknowledged by the recipient. Uh, so there is no waiting for confirmations. You can literally transfer. Uh, like uh, Bitcoin over Lightning at the speed of light, um, and uh, there there is there is immediate f finality. There is also a difference in privacy uh, when uh, when you use Lightning to transfer uh, your uh, your Bitcoins back and forth. There is no permanent trace being left on the blockchain. What is left on the blockchain is is an aggregate of millions of uh, of tran of individual transfers but not the tra not the individual transfer anymore so while buying coffee on uh, on the bitcoin blockchain will le uh, leave a permanent indelible trace of my interaction with that coffee shop uh in lightning it uh, it is far far more difficult to disentangle the traces that are left uh, left on uh, on the blockchain by individual payments because they're all bunched up into into the final settlement and it might even be impossible uh, so only people that are directly involved in the payment itself have any idea that there is a, a payment that that happened um, and so we have scalability we have uh, real time payments and we have uh, we have privacy and for us developers, maybe uh, it's interesting to see that that uh, doing off-chain contracts is also a way to ex uh, to add experimental features in a far quicker way than if we had to co uh, to basically convince the entirety of the Bitcoin network to do an update because hey, we had this cool idea, it might be worth trying it out, but now I have to go on a on a huge campaign to to basically change the protocol. Whereas if we go for uh, for off-chain protocols, we can have much quicker interactions, and only the parties that are involved have to even know about this uh, this experiment. And so over the last couple of years, there's a lot of experiments that uh, that sprung up uh, from from Lightning uh, to multi-party channels to discrete lock contracts um, that uh, uh, that that would not have been possible if we or would have been very difficult if we had to do that directly on the blockchain itself. Because again, pushing changes down to the blockchain, a global consensus system is really hard. Yeah. Yeah. Painful. Uh, so I think the use case of Bitcoin, we kind of touched on this, is different in different parts of the world, right? So interestingly, in the developed world, it's store value, it's an inflation hedge, it's speculation. And then... Um, 
in emerging economies, it's more people actually using it to make payments and to to do things like you would use money normally. So where do you see the growth for the Lightning Network coming from? Is it, you know, I think in 2017, a lot of us assumed it was going to be through micropayments and social media, but the whole El Salvador experiment is is really interesting to see it come up organically through people that actually are unbanked and that really need this kind of technology. So where do you think the bulk of the growth coming from maybe in the next five years? Well, I certainly hope that uh, that this trend of uh, uh, of uh, rapid expansion from uh, from the people that need it most uh, continues uh, throughout the future. Uh, and I think El Salvador was definitely a, a big moment for for the Lightning Network because all of a sudden you uh, you had this confirmation that this yes this is actually working for for the intended use case that we set out as Lightning developers uh, all these years ago to basically build a system that uh, sort of brings back the the cash nature the payment nature of of Bitcoin and so. My hope is that we can actually help these communities to uh, to uh, to build a, an alternative payment system to uh, to what is clearly not working. If if there's like seventy percent unbanked, exactly, yeah, there there is something wrong, and we should we should address that. Yeah, and it's it, it's exciting. I mean, bank the unbank is such a cliche, but it's cool to see it developing in this way, and. Um, and 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 people who actually need it being able to put it to work. That's pretty cool. So do you see any issues, though, with the Lightning Network? I mean, this is a very public primetime test uh, of the Lightning Network. Do you see any any issues? Like what technically, is there anything that could go wrong when we're trying this this experiment at scale? Uh, there is there is a lot of unknowns in here that uh, that we uh, that we don't know how how to steer uh, at the moment and how how the network will react. Um, so certainly the structure of the network and the evolution of the network, uh, being a network where we perform payments over by, by, by following connections among, uh, among the peers, um, unlike Bitcoin, which is a broadcast medium, we actually have to, to use existing communication paths, uh, in this network. Um, the structure is very much, uh, what, what gives both stability, but, uh, but might also create bottlenecks. And so. Uh, we need to be very, very cognizant about uh, about these trade-offs, and we have to make sure that we are not developing single points of failure. And uh, and so a uh, a steady incremental growth of the network is certainly desirable because it gives us time to sort of evaluate uh, the existence of bottlenecks and and steer against them. Um, whereas a sudden influx of uh, uh, of uh, of millions of users might uh, might not give us time to 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 react uh to these developments and if we recreate single points of failure what's the point really yeah okay and do you see any indications of that now is there any way to track this in real time um so there are certain uh measurements that we can perform uh i myself have supervised a couple of student theses uh looking into how the structure of the network is evolving how the structure of the network is looking like we're talking about uh, centrality measures uh, uh, where uh, that, that that sort of give us a clue about uh, what paths might be might be taken in the payments. Again, we don't really have any visibility into what what payments are performed in the network overall. Um, but uh, uh, but by looking at the structure of the network, we can see uh, whether there are single points of failure, and there are certainly some that. Uh, that uh, that have a very dominant role, 
Um, but as long as we as we have alternatives, so if these if these participants go down in the network, uh, we still have enough resilience in the network itself, uh, sort of to take over the uh, the the load. And so I have I have been quite happy with with a uh, with a sort of uh, redundancy in a positive sense here uh, of of the network. Um, but we will definitely continue to monitor that. And what about exchanges? I mean, this is another big application that people used to talk a lot about. Um, and I think to date, only Bitfinex is the only exchange that's integrated Lightning so far. And even ones that have talked about it seem to be really slow in bringing it to fruition. Why Why do you think that is? Do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, the, the main issue is that uh, usually the uh, either you are a trader that is sw- uh, swapping back and forth between, between a, cur- a currency pair uh, trying to time the market, or you are interested mostly in unidirectional flows. Uh, so either you are uh, putting your fiat on an exchange and then sort of getting your Bitcoins out, or you are putting your bitcoins in and getting your fiat out, and uh, the place where lightning shines the most is where the uh, where payments in uh, in both directions are almost balanced. So kind of net each other out. Exactly, because uh, because then we actually can make use of the liquidity that is in a channel multiple times, amortizing the uh, the the cost to actually set up the channel, and so. For day uh, day traders, it's definitely uh, it's definitely something interesting where they can open a channel with an exchange uh, once, and then at the beginning of the day, of the trading day or whenever they set up a, a, an order, uh, they can push over the amount, just the amount that that is required for their for their strategy, uh, over to the exchange, and uh, and at the end of the tra- trading day or when the order gets executed, they can pull back. The, uh, the the funds to their side of the channel, and this minimizes the exposure to uh, to the custodial uh, custodial risk that an exchange might pose. Right, uh, if the exchange doesn't have control over your funds because the funds are actually in a channel and belong to you, then even the exchange getting hacked doesn't cost you any funds. Um, but uh, when you are sort of the uh, uh, the retail user that is making use of, of an exchange to swap in fiat for uh, for coins or coins for uh, for fiat, um, then these channels don't get used as much. The, the utility that you get from going over Lightning is, is much reduced, uh, and so there there's uh, there's less incentive to actually do that. And so um, I, I would definitely like it to see. A less trusted exchange because you can you can uh, uh, you can actually pull the control of of the funds from the exchange, and thus also reducing the liabilities an exchange might have, which I think is a positive for exchanges. Um, um, uh, but but still retain the ability to sort of exchange your funds at any point in time by simply swapping them in for uh, for funds on the exchange. Now, what about Taproot? That's another big one. What, is, what does Taproot, Taproot implementation mean for the Lightning Network? Uh, there's a couple of things that, uh, um, that uh, impact Lightning. Uh, first and foremost, of course, uh, there, is, uh, there is much less information that we leak onto the, onto the blockchain. Uh, since Taproot uh, allows us to hide even uh, complex uh, scripts inside of, of what looks ultimately like a uh, like a uh, single sig uh, address, 
you can hide a lot of the details about a lightning channel inside of Taproot. Um, ultimately, Taproot will also enable us to, to have multi-sig that look just like a single sig. And since all of these off-chain contracts basically started off with a multi-sig where the participants uh, add the funds into a shared account, namely a multi-sig, um, we will no longer be able to basically look at the uh, the blockchain and say, oh, this is a two of two, it might be a lightning channel. No, that, that trace is gone. Um, and even for closes uh, where we have a bit more complex uh, uh, scripts uh, because we have to deal with, oh, this guy now behaved and this guy now is, is correct and there's a time lock and stuff like that. That will also be all hidden inside of Taproot uh, ultimately. So if if you open, if you have a collaborative open and a collaborative close uh, between uh, between agreeing parties, there will be absolutely no trace of the channel even existing uh, other than a somebody sent some funds over from one address to another. Um, in addition, there there is a lot of uh, of cool things we can do uh, with the newly introduced Schnorr signatures, um, where which allow us to uh, to be much more efficient in how we use some of the primitives that we have in uh, in Bitcoin. Um, for example, we have a couple of messages that uh, that require multiple signatures and multiple public keys, and all of these can now be combined into uh, into a single public key and a single signature. Um, and beyond that, the way we currently uh, implement end-to-end -end security in uh, in Lightning payments payments is uh, called hash time lock contracts. Um, they have a bit of a downside in that they are recognizable by parties that participate in the network. So if I receive a forwarded payment for a hash H and then I receive a second forward payment for hash H, I can sort of see that they are the same payment. And with Schnorr, uh, what we can do is we can use uh, PTLCs, uh, point time lock contracts, uh, where the uh, where this constant, uh, the, the, these, these values, uh, are changed over the uh, course of a single payment. And so sort of this collating information is, is no longer possible, uh, increasing not only the, the privacy, but also, uh, but also making, uh, making funds more, uh, more fungible in the network. Okay, interesting. So it sounds like the main application is, is probably privacy, right? Yeah. And, and size savings. Don't underestimate size savings. That's okay. And moving on, so Greenlight, Blockstream recently allowed, announced Greenlight. Can you run us through um, what, what the thinking is on Greenlight and, and what the benefits are and who the target audience is? Yeah, so like, like we said before, there's basically this, this dichotomy of users when, uh, the, the, when, we have, uh, when we have Lightning users. We have the ones that really have invested the time to read up and, and learn about all of the intricacies of running a Lightning node, and they get their hands dirty to actually to actually do uh, uh, to actually uh, run their own Lightning node. And then we have the vast majority of people that either don't have the time to invest, or don't, uh, uh, or, or aren't just interested in, in in the tech details that are underlie this. And we shouldn't be forcing them to actually have to learn this to use them. And so uh, we uh, we took uh, we took this this custodian uh, custodian model and said. Okay, what what if we if we strip them off of the keys? What if 
if they uh, if they no longer have to have uh, access to the keys can we find a middle ground where uh, where we can help users with the management of the infrastructure the management of the nodes without having access to the keys and so uh, adhering to the not your keys not your coins principle what we uh, what we do is basically we can run C Lightning nodes on behalf of our users without ha ever having access to the funds that are underlying it. Um, and so what we do is uh, we basically provide a service that allows users and developers to spin, uh, to spin up C Lightning nodes incredi uh, incredibly quickly. In less than a second, you can have your C Lightning node up and running. Um, but all the time retaining full control over the funds that you put on the, uh, onto that node. And we do that by basically having the node request signatures from, a, from, from an app on your phone, on your desktop, or on your hardware wallet um, whenever it wants to move the funds. And the app can then uh, independently verify that, yes, this is actually sensible. And the command that initiated this uh, actually came from a uh, from an authenticated user and not a hacked uh, node, basically. Um, and so what we end up with is a system where uh, where we can help you manage your infrastructure, where we can manage your uh, your channels on uh, uh, for you, and you basically can reap the benefits of you, uh, of being a Lightning user. Uh, much quicker than if you had to first learn all of these, uh, all of the technical details to get to that point. And so our hope is that by showing users the benefits of, of Lightning before they have to invest all of that time, they will actually end up, uh, be, uh, first of all, seeing that this is something that they might be interested in and later on invest the time to uh, to take care, uh, to take on more control over their own infrastructure and it is certainly our goal to sort of have an easy onboarding experience uh, provide the learning materials for you to upgrade your own uh, knowledge and uh, eventually we want you to offboard into your own uh, infrastructure and uh, for that we have built a variety of of tools that we will make available for you to actually run Greenlight on your device or uh, provide the same service for your friends and family. Um, so it is basically our strategy of, uh, of moving the education behind sort of this first aha moment and, uh, and making it more palpable for, for users to, uh, to get started with Lightning. Okay, we've got a couple of questions here from Twitter as well. So three questions here. Um, the first question is, what will the Lightning Network wallet Bitcoin payment user experience be like in 2030 relative to what it's like now? Um, my hope is that it will uh, it will be absolutely seamless. Um, there should not be really a difference between, uh, between Bitcoin on-chain and Lightning uh, funds, um, simply because that is already confusing, right? Uh, uh, I want to perform a Lightning payment, but I have five Bitcoins on-chain and, and three off-chain, but the amount is four. What 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 can I do, right? And so uh, we want to abstract away these uh, these uh, these uh, differences by both introducing uh, technology on the specification side uh, with proposals such as splicing. Um, 
and with swap services that allow you to basically uh, do on-chain payments despite only having off-chain funds. Um, and the idea here is that ultimately we end up with a single balance being shown to the user and the full balance can always be used for on-chain payments or off-chain payments. And you can basically decide on a whim. So that's certainly a, a hurdle that, uh, that, that we'd like to remove over time. And ultimately, it should, uh, should become as easy as, uh, as approaching the, the, um, the point of sale and tapping your phone or tapping your, a, a device on, uh, on it and, and basically be able to perform payments in just a matter of seconds uh and and uh and yeah basically the the entire uh, payment flow that uh, that we've gotten used to from uh centralized organizations but enhanced by more privacy and decentralization that's great so the next question is this user says that with c lightning they currently only see the fee detail on a payment is it possible to show all the routing details as well the thing is that uh the the way we currently uh, store that information is basically such that uh, we we only have details about the uh, uh, about the difference between the amount that was paid and the amount that that was uh, initially sent, and so that is that is that is the fee that we pay to the network. Uh, we can of course add that information, um, but we have to sort of gauge whether it is uh, generally usable for uh, for users or whether this is just a very specific use case that maybe impact, uh, impacts just one or two users. Uh, this is because uh, we, we don't want to uh, require more resources from the systems that we run on and uh, storing more information, well, increases the database size. And so it is always a trade-off between, uh, between what we store, what we display, and uh, and and how many user uh, users actually uh, have have an advantage from it. That being said, I mean C Lightning does have a very extensive uh, plugin infrastructure where we expose lo uh, a lot of that in, uh, information, and so it should be quite easy for uh, for uh, medium to advanced users to to build a plugin that basically takes all of this information and stores it in uh, in a separate file. So that they can then uh, go and uh, and analyze that information after the fact. And why is that desirable? Why would somebody want to see the routing details? Uh, it might actually be useful to uh, to determine whether a uh, whether certain ch channels in the network are uh, something that uh, are useful for uh, for users. And if uh, if a channel, for example, uh, leverages higher fees. Uh, than than uh, than a parallel channel, we might still want to bias towards it because in the past we've seen that that is very reliable, and so this information can be used to optimize uh, over the course of multiple payments uh, uh, the reliability, but also the speed of a payment. Uh, and so it is more of an advanced use case. Uh, not many people do hundreds or thousands of payments. Where where this would become statistically significant, um, but for advanced users, it's definitely an option to sort of store and bias with that information as well. Okay. And next one. What steps need to happen before we can implement splicing in more wallets? And maybe you can explain what splicing is as well. <laughs> so splicing is actually the uh, the uh, thing that I mentioned before, 
where we want to have a single uh, single balance that can be spent both on-chain and off-chain. Um, so splicing basically boils down to having a uh, to having all of your funds in uh, in a lightning channel, no funds on-chain at all. And uh, when you want to perform a, an on-chain payment, what you do is basically co you coordinate with your counterparty uh, to say, hey, I want to close this channel. Part of the funds go, uh, go one way, and then we reopen the same channel at, uh, uh, in the same transaction. Basically, what we do is we close, move funds out, and reopen the channel. Since the funds that remain in the channel uh, never touched a single SIG and we're always under the control of both parties, we can be absolutely sure that this will eventually confirm on the blockchain and therefore we never have to wait for it to confirm in the first place. Um, this way you can perform on-chain payments from off-chain funds. Um, there is also the, uh, the uh, opposite direction where you can say, okay, I close this channel, I splice in funds from outside, and then I reopen this channel immediately. And uh, there are a couple of, uh, of, of reasons why you might want to do this. So for example, if, if you're a merchant and you have this channel that is very active, but you're sort of, you, you're, uh, you're, you don't have any funds on that channel anymore, you might want to add some funds from, uh, from an on-chain address that you have somewhere else to sort of bump up your, uh, your spending capacity in that channel. Or if it's a very active channel, um, you can you can increase the capacity just to say, okay, we, we now can have a bit more imbalance. We can now process larger payments, um, even though we didn't we didn't know that at the beginning and we didn't allocate uh, these funds initially. Um, so we currently have a proposal that is uh, that is out there uh, for other implementations to uh, to verify. It builds on, on Lisa Nygut's uh, proposal for dual funding, which is also a proposal that we have uh, on the uh, on the lightning uh, on the lightning specification, and uh, it is basically just a matter of time until uh, until other implementations will uh, will basically pick this up and dissect it and propose changes. Maybe uh, after all, this is this is sort of the principle of the lightning specification that we want to have as many. Uh, eyes on the uh, on the specification as possible, sort of to get the best trade-off in, in the end. Um, and uh, so once we get uh, we get feedback from other implementations, they might implement it themselves. And once we have at least two independently impl uh, implemented uh, uh, implementations, then we can go and actually take the this proposal and incorporate it into the uh, into the lightning specification so we always have for any change that we want to have to the lightning specification we need to have two independent implementations that verify that first of all all of the details are in there and that the uh, and that the uh, implementation is actually solid and uh, and doesn't uh, and doesn't break Great. All right. To wrap it up, um, looking forward, what excites you the most about the world of Bitcoin? The world of Bitcoin. Well, I've had quite quite a bit of excitement already. So uh, never a dull day. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm hoping that we will continue seeing uh, seeing this incremental adoption. I don't I don't see that um, that we will have a sudden jump. Um, I see a lot of 
technical challenges that are yet to be addressed. And that's, that's always interesting for me. Um, and it's, it's what's kept me, kept me interested in, in the, in the space, uh, for last, wow, it's been 12 years already. Time flies. There is, there's still, still so much to be experimented, so much to be discovered. And, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. That's great, Christian. Really appreciate you doing this and taking the time to, to speak with us today. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Thanks a lot. Awesome. See ya. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Blockstream Talk. If you want to support the show, feel free to leave a review, like, subscribe, and share. It really helps us get on the right side of the social media algos. And follow us at Blockstream Talk on Twitter. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks.